0: So we're going to discuss insha'Allah in this lecture A brief tafsir of the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah As you're aware, if you read from the Mus'haf Then you come across Surah Al-Fatiha at the beginning And then after that, Surah Al-Baqarah This is the second chapter of the Qur'an And it's known as Surah Al-Baqarah The chapter uh, named regarding the cow And that is because within this surah, within this surah, there is mention of the story of the cow. Uh, There's a mention of a story regarding the cow uh, uh, in Bani Israel, uh, when that individual was killed. But that's a story that comes later on. Uh, We will be discussing the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah and some of the meanings in the beginning section of it. As Sheikh Fawzan, Hafidahullah mentioned regarding Surah Al-Baqarah, He says this is a great Surah, a great chapter which includes many different types of knowledge from Aqidah and rulings and stories of the previous nations that came before us and other than that. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ used to encourage the people to learn Surah al-Baqarah. The Prophet ﷺ used to encourage the people to learn Surat al-Baqarah. So he would say to them, as is narrated in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, Ta'allamu Surat al-Baqarah, فإن أخضها بركة وتركها حسرة. وَلَا يَسْتَطِيعُهَا الْبَطَلَةِ لَنْ سُورَةَ الْبَقَرَةِ The Prophet ﷺ said تَعَلَّمُوا سُورَةَ Learn لَنْ سُورَةُ الْبَقَرَةِ فَإِنَّ أَخْذَهَا بَرَكَةِ For indeed taking it, learning it, understanding it There is blessing within that وَتَرْكَهَا حَسْرًا And leaving it, abandoning it, not knowing it, not understanding it then that is loss. It is sorrow and loss for the individual who does not. al And the Prophet also mentioned that the shayateen, the devils from the jinn, and otherwise they are not able to burden Surah al-Baqarah. They can't handle Surat al-Baqarah. And that's why it's mentioned that if a person was to recite Suratul Baqarah within their homes, and that is a means of protection from the Shaytan, from the Shayatin, the devils of the jinn entering the home of that person. Just as it is mentioned in the hadith of Abu Hurairah in Sahih Muslim, Inna Shaytan yanfiru minal bayt illahi tuqra'u fiji Suratul Baqarah, that indeed the Shaytan flees. Runs away from the home where Suratul Baqarah is recited within it. The Shaytan runs away from the home where Suratul Baqarah is recited within it. Inna Shaytan yanfiru minal bayt, al-lavi tuqra'u fihi Suratul Baqarah. The Shaytan flees from the house, runs away from the house where Suratul Baqarah is being recited within it. Often people ask the question, they say, is it enough, is it sufficient to play Surah Al-Baqarah on the phone, on the MP3, on whatever it might be, can we play it and leave it playing on these recording devices, these electronic devices, is that sufficient? Some of the scholars like Sheikh Muhammad bin Salih al ta'ala, mentioned, it is not sufficient. The hadith says, whoever recites Surat al-Baqarah, it is required for you to recite it, not to play it on some electronic device. If however a person played it on an electronic device, that is still goodness. It is still good to listen to the Quran, etc. But, Sheikh Muhammad bin Salih al rahimahullah, mentioned that to be within this narration of keeping the shayateen out, then what would be advisable is that a person reads it himself, not just to put it on some device and consider that to be sufficient. Better for a person to make the wudu, to take the mushaf, to sit down and to recite. Recite the Qur'an that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed as a guidance. Um, So then after that, the Shaykh also mentions... As the Prophet ﷺ said here, learn Surah Al-Baqarah because there is blessings, there is blessings within it. Blessings within Surah Al-Baqarah. And if you leave it, then that will be sorrow and sadness and grief for a person who leaves it. As for learning it, then as Shaykh mentions, the meaning of that is, تعلم قراءتها على الوجه الصحيح ومعرفة معانيها To learn how to recite it properly and to understand its meanings and to understand its tafsir. That's what the Qur'an was revealed for. To read it, to understand it, to practice it, to know the tafsir of it, all of those factors. That's why Allah said that the Qur'an, it is a guidance for all of mankind. And it is something which there is no differing within. No falsehood comes to it from the right or the left or from behind or in front. It is a book protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's upon the people to learn and read and understand the Qur'an and memorize the Qur'an and practice the Qur'an. Just like the salaf they used to say, kunna la عَشْرَ آيَاتٍ حَتَّى نَتَعَلَّمَ مَعَانِيهَا وَالْعَمَلَ فِيهَا أو بِهَا الْعِلْمَ وَالْعَمَلَ جَمِيعًا Some of the salaf they used to say that we never used to go beyond 10 ayat of the Quran. We never used to recite more than 10 ayat of the Quran until we knew the meanings of those 10. And we would act upon those 10. And then we would go beyond them to the next section. The point of that being that the Quran is not just for recitation by itself and that's it. It's not just for recitation. It's for recitation of course. But on top of that, to understand what you're reciting and to know the tafsir of what you're reciting and to practice that. To take the knowledge and the benefit from that. That's the purpose of it. And that's why the scholars, they say, it's not good what some people do. Instead of learning it and practicing it and memorizing it, the people use the Qur'an just for decoration now. They buy these beautiful posters that have been designed and they are sold... Portraits and frames with ayat of the Qur'an. And they stick them on their walls in their homes. As decoration. Ayat of the Qur'an. This isn't the purpose of the revelation of the Qur'an. To decorate the homes. It's for the purpose of sitting down and reading and understanding and memorizing and practicing. So that's what the Shaykh mentions at the beginning. uh, And that's something specifically the Prophet mentioned about Surah Al-Baqarah. And it applies to the remainder of the Qur'an as a whole. But specifically it's mentioned about Surat Al-Baqarah, indicating the importance of this chapter. So, how does it begin then? Surat Al-Baqarah begins with Alif, Lam, Meem. And you will have noticed when you read the Quran that there are certain surahs, certain chapters of the Quran that start with these types of letters. Alif, Lam, Mim, Alif, Lam, Ra. Alif, Lam, Meem, Saad. Mim Yasin. Taaha. Kaf, Saad, Kaf, Ha, Saad. Chapters of the Quran, various chapters, they begin with these letters at the beginning. The very first part of those chapters, certain chapters, you notice they begin like that. Alif, Lam, Mim, Alif, Lam, Ra. So, what do these mean? Surah Al-Baqarah is one of them. It starts with Alif, Lam, Mim. What's the meaning of these then, right at the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah? Sheikh Al-Fawzan, may Allah him says that the scholars have differed over the meaning of these letters at the beginning of the certain surahs of the Quran. The majority of the scholars, Al-Jumhur, they say انها تمر كما جاءت لانها مما استأثر الله تعالى بعلمه فلا يبحث عنها. لَأَنَّهُ لَا دَلِيلَ عَلَى الْبَحْثِ فِيهَا الْمُرَادِ مِنْهَا The majority of the scholars, the majority of the scholars, the Jumhur, they say, that these beginnings of these particular surahs, with these letters, Alif, Lam, Mim, Alif, Ra, etc. They are to be left as they are. We do not have knowledge of their meanings. These are to be left as they are, recited as they are. They are a part of the Qur'an, a revelation, a miracle from Allah. And they are to be left as they are and not to be investigated and to try to find out the reality of what these letters mean. They are to be left as they are. They are revelation from Allah and they are to be left as they are. You recite them and you continue. There is no specific meaning that we understand from them, from these letters at the beginning of the surahs. That's what the majority of the scholars, they say. There are some scholars though, they have mentioned that there is a purpose to them that we understand. Clearly the Qur'an, all of it, there is meaning behind it. But what we understand from it, some of the scholars, they say, maybe the alif lam mim alif lam ra, the beginning of the surahs, is as a means of depicting the miracle of the Qur'an. Now this Qur'an, it was revealed to a group of people who were upon the Arabic language. And they were the most powerful in their Arabic language. Those Arabs who lived at the time of the Prophet wasallam. They were extremely powerful in Arabic to the extent that it used to be said that if you were to pick one person randomly and ask him to give you poetry that rhymes a thousand verses off the top of the head there and then they would give you a brand new poem that they make up there and then rhyming with a thousand verses, all of it rhyming in Arabic. That's how strong they were in the Arabic language, but despite their strength in the Arabic language. And their power with regards to the Arabic language, then this was the miracle of the Quran that even with that power of the Arabic language they had, they were unable to be able, they were unable to tell us to explain these words, alif Lam, mim, alif ra. They were unable to uh, explain those even despite their power of Arabic language. So, this is uh, something that the scholars they mentioned that perhaps it is as a means of. Indicating the miracle of the Quran, these particular letters uh, that were revealed in the language of the Arabs. And yet they were not able to bring anything similar to it. They were not able to bring anything comparable to it. And that's why that challenge is open up until the Day of Judgment. Whereby Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned that if you are in doubt, if you are in doubt about what we have revealed, bi بِمِثْلِهِ Then bring something similar to it. And nobody will ever be able to bring anything similar to the Qur'an in any shape whatsoever. After that then, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Book, الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ lil muttaqin." That is the book where there is no doubt within it, a guidance for the pious. That is the book where there is no doubt within it. This is the book. There is no doubt in it. It is a guide to those who are the muttaqin, the pious ones. الكتاب, you might learn in the Arabic language that typically means that. Something far away. However here, why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or why has it been said, al-kitab? That That is the book. When actually the Qur'an is right here. We have the Qur'an in your homes, in your phones, in the books, it's there. The Qur'an is there, you have it available, you hold it. So why does Allah say that is the book? As if it's something far away. Because dhalika doesn't always mean that in terms of something far away. One of the other ways that dhalika can be used is to indicate the greatness of something. So even though the Qur'an isn't far away, it's here. In fact, it's so close, some people have it memorized in their hearts. That's how close it is. You have it there, in your hearts, in your hands. But the reason why Allah says, ذَلِكَ is to indicate the greatness of this book. To indicate the greatness of the Quran. kitabu la rayba fihi. Allah says, that is the book where there is no doubt within it. This is right at the beginning. Open up the Mus'haf. Right at the beginning, ذَٰلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ That is the book, or this is the book rather, indicating greatness, that there is no doubt within it whatsoever. الرَّيْبَ, it means doubt. There is no doubt within it at all. There is no falsehood within it at all. That's why Allah said, وَلَوْ كَانَ مِنْ عِنْدِ غَيْرِ اللَّهِ لَوَجَدُوا فِيهِ اخْتِلَافًا كَثِيرًا if this Qur'an was from someone else besides Allah, then they would have found much differing within it. But there is no differing within it, there is no conflict within it, there is no contradiction within it. Because all of that is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah says after that, that this is the book, the great book where there is no doubt within it. Hudan lil It is a guidance for the pious. Does that mean that the Quran is only a guidance for the pious people and it is not a guidance for other people? What does this ayah mean? Allah says, Hudan lil muttaqin." it's a guidance for the pious people. What about those people who are not pious, is the Quran not a guidance for them? Clearly, no doubt, the Quran is a guidance for everyone, for everybody. So what does it mean? What it means is that even though the Quran is a guidance for everyone, for the pious, the non-pious, for the righteous, the non-righteous, it's a guidance for everybody who reads and understands and practices it. However, from all of the people that are there, who from amongst the people actually benefits from the Quran? Which type of people actually sit and read and memorize and practice the Quran? The pious or the non-pious? The pious. That's why Allah is saying this is a guidance for the pious. Because really, even though it's a guidance for everyone, it's only the pious, the righteous ones who are going to sit down and learn it and memorize it and practice it. As for those who don't do that, then they are not taking the guidance from the Quran. The ones who aren't reading it, they're not memorizing it, they're not understanding it, they're not learning it, then they're not taking the guidance from the Quran. But the righteous ones and the pious ones, they will do that. They will sit and they will learn and they will benefit and they will practice the Qur'an, understand the Qur'an. That's why Allah says it's a guidance for the pious. Because they are the ones who are going to benefit in reality. As for those people who don't bother, they don't use their time to read the Qur'an or to memorize the Qur'an or to understand the Qur'an, then they're not going to benefit from the Qur'an. They don't benefit from the meanings of the Qur'an, they don't understand the Qur'an, they don't memorize anything from the Qur'an. And that's why Allah says, lil Muttaqeen." That it is a guidance for the pious. And that guidance, as the scholars have mentioned, is two types. There are two general types of guidance. There are two general types of guidance. One type of guidance is what is known as Hidayatu Ad-Dilala Wal-Irshad The guidance of indicating the correct from the false, the truth from the untruth. i.e., knowing what the right way is, knowing what the false way is, knowing what bid'ah is, knowing what Sunnah is, knowing what Tawheed is, knowing what Shirk is, knowing the right from the wrong, knowing the correct way from the wrong way. That is the general type of guidance. And that's what the prophets and the messengers came to teach us. They came to teach us what is the right way, what is the wrong way, what is the sunnah, what is the bid'ah, what is the tawhid, what is the shirk. So you are able to understand what is correct and what is not correct. That is one type of guidance. And that's what the prophets and messengers came to teach us. And that's what we aim to teach the people also. To explain to them the right from the wrong, the sunnah from the bid'ah, the tawhid from the shirk. But then there is a second type of guidance also. And that is Hidayat to tawfiq The guidance of, you may be able to say, the inner guidance. The inner guidance. The enlightenment of the heart. Because not everybody who you explain to them, this is tawhid, this is shirk, this is the religion, this is not the religion, this is sunnah, this is bid'ah this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do. You could explain that to people. But maybe some people, even after you explain to them, they still don't bother, they carry on doing what they were doing. So that means even though you've given them the general guidance, the second type of guidance hasn't come to them yet. They haven't got that inner guidance, that enlightenment in their heart to be able to then practice the general guidance they've been given, which now tells them what the sunnah is and what innovation is tells them what religion is, what the religion is not, what shirk is, what tawheed is. For them to be able to practice that, then they are needing or in need of that inner guidance. So there are these two types of guidance. There are these two types of guidance. And when you say, in Surah Al-Fatiha, prior to Al-Baqarah, Sirat Al-Mustaqim," In every raka'ah that you pray, guide us to the straight path. Which type of guidance are you asking for from these two? In Surah Al-Fatiha, when you recite, in every raka'ah, sirat al-Mustaqim," guide us to the straight path, then which of the two types of guidance are you asking for? Both? Both. Both. Correct. So when in Surah Al-Fatiha, you are making the dua for Allah to guide you, then you are asking for both types of guidance. You're asking for Allah to make clear to you the right path from the false path. But also to give you the inner guidance for you to be able to accept the right path from the false path. Some people you tell them but they don't accept. So you ask Allah for both types of guidance. The inner guidance too so that you can then accept what the correct religion is and practice it. And be upon that religion in practicing it. Not like those people who know but they say we just can't do it. It's too difficult etc etc and they don't practice. So you ask Allah for both types of guidance. The inner guidance also to aid you to be able to then practice the religion too. Um, who are the muttaqin? Here Allah said that this Quran, it is a guidance for the muttaqeen. I, they are the people who genuinely benefit from it. Those who are not a pantaqwa and they don't read and learn, then they don't really benefit. But who are the muttaqin? Who is somebody who is a muttaqi? Who is a pantaqwa? What's taqwa? Taqwa, the scholars have said, as a general definition of it, it is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon evidence from Allah, upon a light from Allah, desiring the reward of Allah. Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon guidance from Allah, desiring the reward of Allah. And that you stay away from the prohibitions upon guidance from Allah, i.e. knowing what those prohibitions are, you stay away from them, fearing the punishment of Allah. That's taqwa. Fulfill the commandments Allah has prescribed upon you, desiring the reward of Allah, upon evidences you fulfill them, desiring the reward of Allah, and stay away from the prohibitions upon the evidences, those prohibitions, whatever they may be, fearing the punishment of Allah. When you do all of those aspects, that's what taqwa is. That's taqwa in brief. Thereafter, Shaykh Fawzan mentions regarding this opening part of Surah Al-Baqarah, he says, people, when it comes to guidance, we're talking about this guidance now, there are three different types. There are three different types of people when it comes to guidance. Al Qismul Awwal, the first group or the first type of people when it comes to guidance. Those people who follow it, they believe in it, they have Iman in this guidance and they act upon it and believe in it openly and inwardly, outwardly and inwardly. Outwardly, they practice and they do everything of Islam. Inwardly, in their aqeedah, they believe in that too. So outwardly and inwardly in their hearts, they are practicing and believing and implementing Islam. That is one. The second category of people, al qism al-thani, al kafaroo bihi zahiran wa Those people who disbelieve in this guidance, openly and inwardly outwardly and inwardly either clear kuffar the ones who disbelieve in it in their hearts and openly they disbelieve and don't do anything from islam so they're the complete opposite but then there's a third category and who are the third category one category believe in it inwardly and outwardly the believers another category disbelieve in it inwardly and outwardly the disbelievers or the third category in between. and who are they the hypocrites, because they believed in it or practiced it inwardly or outwardly. outwardly? Outwardly, but inwardly, they didn't believe in it. So they were in between. They inwardly didn't accept Islam and they didn't believe in it. But outwardly, they would pretend that they are upon Islam and that they are believing in it. The reason why we mentioned those three categories of people is because the opening 15 or 20 ayat from Surah Al-Baqarah, they speak about those three categories of people. In these opening 20 ayat or so of Surah Al-Baqarah, you will see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about those three categories of people. Each category of people, Allah mentions a certain ayat about them. The people who believe inwardly and outwardly. The people who disbelieve inwardly and outwardly and the people who believe outwardly apparently practicing it, but inwardly they disbelieve. Allah mentions ayat about all three categories of people in the first 20 ayat. If you read the Quran, the mushaf, the first page or two, all of these three people are mentioned within it. So firstly, the first group that Allah speaks about are the muttaqun, the people who are upon the piety. People who are upon piety. They are those who believe in it inwardly and outwardly. The believers, the mu'minun. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about them? Allah mentions three ayat at the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah about that category of people. The believers, the muslimin, the muslims, the believers, the people of iman. This is what Allah says about them. (laughs) الذين يؤمنون بالغيب ويقيمون الصلاة ومما رزقناهم ينفقون. This is the first thing Allah says about them. That those believers, this is one of their characteristics. This is the first description of a person upon belief. And this is what we mean by, this is what we mean by understanding and learning and practicing the Quran. This is right at the beginning of the Mushaf. Right at the beginning, open it up and these are the ayat you're going to see. So now to understand this, the speech of Allah what Allah is addressing us with, here Allah tells us about certain descriptions of the people of iman. One of their descriptions is, bil بِالْغَيْبِ That they believe in the unseen. They believe in the unseen. However, what does that mean? It doesn't mean, as some of the Sufis and these other misguided individuals will say, that their imams go to paradise at night and they see Allah and they do this and they do that. That's not the unseen we're talking about here. That's not the unseen that Allah was mentioning in the Quran here. The unseen are those affairs, those things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned to us and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa mentioned to us from the affairs that we cannot physically see now. For example, in the grave, the barzakh, When a person dies, we know that the angels come to that person and they ask him questions. And there is punishment in the grave and there are blessings in the grave. But can we see any of that? Even if you were to go and dig up a grave, would you see any of that? None of it. So this is from the unseen. But we believe that this occurs. We believe this happens. We believe in those affairs that are mentioned about the grave and the angels coming, etc. They come and they ask that person the three questions. Man, Rabbuka, who is your Lord? Who is Allah? Tell me. Man, Nabiyuka, who is your Prophet? Wa, what is your religion? As for the believers who studied and learnt and practiced, then they will be able to answer. As for those disbelievers who haven't got a clue and they didn't bother to learn anything or to understand and to practice and to implement tawheed, and to be upon this religion, then they will not be able to answer. And then there is the punishment of the grave that occurs, and there is the blessings of the grave that occur. How a door is opened up to hellfire for those individuals to see their place in the hellfire. And the evil smells and the heat come through. And how a door is opened up into paradise and the beautiful smells they come through. All these things they occur in the grave, but they are from the unseen. But we as believers, Allah says one of the descriptions is, they believe in those affairs with certainty, without any doubt. Also on the day of judgment. All of those things that are going to happen on the actual day of judgment how the people are going to be resurrected, how the accountability is going to happen, how the books of the people are going to be given to them, how they're going to go to the pond, how they're going to cross over the bridge. All of those things from the Day of Judgment are from the unseen. But we believe in them and we have certainty that they are going to occur as the Prophet told us, they are going to occur. So all of that is from the unseen. Similarly, not only future things, but past things. In the Qur'an, does he not tell us, Stories of Ibrahim, stories of Musa, stories of Isa, story of Adam. Are we not told about these stories of the previous nations and prophets and messengers? We didn't see any of that. We didn't see any of those things happening at the time of Musa or the flood at the time of Nuh. We didn't see any of that. But we believe with certainty that those events, they occurred. Absolute certainty that as Allah told us in the Qur'an as it was narrated to us in the Sunnah, then those events occurred as they are, were mentioned. This is all knowledge or rather the belief in the unseen. And you could say that the greatest affair from the unseen, those examples we've given of the future things, of the past things, but there are certain affairs or there is a certain thing which is the greatest knowledge of the unseen. What is the greatest knowledge of the unseen? See Allah. Not seeing Allah, but see Allah. the belief in Allah. Does anybody see Allah? Has anybody seen Allah? And will anybody see Allah before the Day of Judgment? No. Hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam: "Lan You're not going to see Allah subhanahu wa taala until you die. So upon this earth, then nobody has seen Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not even the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But yet, even though we have not seen Allah, then we believe completely with iman in the names and attributes of Allah. The descriptions that Allah mentioned about Himself in the Qur'an. The fact that Allah descends to the lowest heaven closest to the earth in the last third of the night. The fact that Allah is established above His throne, above all of creation in the heavens and the earth. We believe in all of these things even though it's from the unseen. So this is the first characteristic, the first description. And there's many things you can mention. Many other things. The angels for example. The angels are from the unseen, but we believe in the angels. We believe that this is an army of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are so many angels. It's mentioned that 70,000 go to the house in paradise. And every time that 70,000 finishes and leaves... Another 70,000 comes and they never get a chance to get back in again. Because there are so many groups of 70,000 waiting to come. That's the great, huge numbers of the angels. And all of the different jobs that they do. So we believe in the angels. Even now upon this earth, jinn for example. They are unseen to us. Typically they are unseen to us. But you believe in their existence that this is a creation. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. And that they exist. And all of that is because Allah has informed us of that. And the Prophet ﷺ has informed us of that. Regarding all of these affairs. And so we believe in them with certainty. Irrelevant of whether your minds and intellects are able to understand or not. Some people now, unfortunately those people who have strayed away. Deviated away from the Quran and the Sunnah and the methodology of the Salaf. As we mentioned in Kun Salafi and Al-Jadda, they now say we can only believe in things if we can feel them or see them or touch them. If our minds can understand them. If we can't see something, touch something, feel something, smell something, our minds can't understand it. They say it can't exist. And that is from the philosophy of these academics. That is from the philosophy of these academics. And it is against what the religion has taught us. Rather, with certainty, we believe in the Creator. With certainty, we believe in all of these other affairs of the unseen. And that is the first description and characteristic that Allah has mentioned about these people who are the believers. That is one of their descriptions. To be upon that certainty in the belief of the unseen that Allah and His Messenger have told us about. The second description that Allah mentions about the believers in this first ayah, or the beginning of uh, Surah Al-Baqarah, وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ That they established a prayer. They established a prayer. The prayer which is the second pillar of Al-Islam. The prayer which is the second highest pillar of Al-Islam. After the Tawheed, شَهَادَةُ أَنْ لَا إلا اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ abduhu wa what we've been discussing recently now in the book, the conditions of La إله إلا الله. then after that, the second highest pillar is the prayer. And in fact, on the Day of Judgment, أَوَّلُ مَا يُسْأَلُ عَنْهُ الْعَبْدِ الصَّلَاةِ أَوْ كَمَا قَالْنَا بِسَلَّمَ That the first thing that a person is going to be asked about on the Day of Judgment is the prayer. Is the prayer. That will be the first thing the judgment is made for for the individual in his actions. The prayer. If the prayer is good and correct, then the remainder of the actions will follow. But if the prayer is false and incorrect and deficient, then the remainder of the actions will follow. So the first thing that you'll be asked about is the prayer. And that's why it is the second highest pillar of Islam. And that's why also that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the prayer in the heavens. The prayer was established, the ruling for it, in the heavens. On the night of al-Isra al miraj when the Prophet Sallam was taken up to the heavens... That's when Allah gave the commandment for the prayer. That shows the virtue of the prayer also, because all the other commandments, it was the opposite. Jibreel would come down to the earth and teach them, to the Prophet wasallam. But on this occasion, it was the opposite. The Prophet went up to the heavens to learn about this commandment. So that shows the virtue of the prayer also. Similarly, the Prophet wasallam said, الْعَهْدُ <laughs> الَّذِي That the covenant or the barrier between us and them and the disbelievers, is the prayer. So whoever leaves it, then he has disbelieved. Whoever leaves it, he has committed shirk. The prayer is of vital importance, of extreme importance. And that's why some of the scholars even declared the one who leaves this prayer and abandons it as disbelievers. That is the factor that distinguishes a believer, a Muslim from a disbeliever. That he prays five times a day. So be warned, and be aware of the severity of this prayer. And that's why Allah says here now, that they establish the prayer. That is the second characteristic of the believers. Establishing the prayer, what does it mean? It doesn't just mean praying it. It doesn't just mean praying it. Establishing the prayer, يُقِيمُونَ salah, means to pray it properly and accurately. With all of the sunnah acts that go with it. And all of the conditions and the pillars With all of the different aspects and various aspects of the prayer, with it, to pray that properly, and that is what we are discussing in our other lessons in Bradford at Al Basira, the chapter of the prayer from Bulugh al-Maram, to understand the conditions and the prayers, uh, the conditions of the prayer, the pillars of the prayer, the Sunnah acts of the prayer, the the obligatory acts of the prayer. So a person he fulfills all of those acts. And therefore, praise that prayer properly and accurately, outwardly and also inwardly. Inwardly he prays with tranquility and serenity and humbleness and humility in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is one of the characteristics of the believers, that they pray their prayer in that manner. The third characteristic that Allah mentioned of the believers is, وَمِمَّا رَزَقَنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ That from that which we have given them, the rizq, the sustenance we have given to them, then they spend from that. They spend from that sustenance we have given to them. They spend in all of the good ways. They spend in the ways that are obligatory upon them in terms of their families, their wives, their children, their parents, etc., whatever is needed of them. They spend also in the other affairs of benefit. Building a mosque, building masajid, مَنْ بَنَى مَسْجِدًا بَنَى اللَّهُ لَهُ بَيْتًا في الجنة. Whoever builds a masjid for Allah, then Allah builds him a house in paradise. They spend their money in charitable causes towards Islam and aiding Islam. So the ones who do that, then this is another characteristic which is mentioned of those believers. That is because spending in charity in this way, it is something good, a goodness that a person does between himself and other people. Because when he spends in good causes, then other people are going to benefit from those. A person spends for the da'wah. He spends for a masjid. Then all of the Muslims and the remainder of the people will benefit from that money he has spent. They will benefit from the masjid that has been built. They will benefit from the books that are being distributed. So this is something that the people, the servants of Allah benefit from. If an individual spends in the cause of Allah, then they benefit from that. So that is a characteristic which indicates the goodness of a slave to other slaves. What is the first characteristic, or the the second characteristic of the prayer? That was the goodness of a servant between himself and Allah. Praying that prayer sincerely for the sake of Allah. And of course you give the charity sincerely for the sake of Allah too, but the people, they will benefit from that. They will benefit from this charity that a person he gives. That's why there's a narration that Shaykh Al-Bani said is authentic, Hassan. There's a narration where the Prophet ﷺ, he required to gather some charity from the people for a particular reason. So he told the people that we need charity, we need some donations. So on that occasion, Umar ibn al-Khattab عنه, had a reasonable amount of wealth at that particular time. So Umar says, when I heard the Prophet say that we need some charity, he said, I was reasonably well off at that time. So he said, I decided... I'm going to try and beat Abu Bakr As-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. Because Abu Bakr As-Siddiq, the best of the people after the Prophet sallallahu he was the best of them all. But Umar radiallahu anhu said, I was going to try and beat him on that time. Because I had a reasonable amount of wealth, so I thought, I'll try and beat him. So what did he do? He said, I came with 50% of everything I had. All of the wealth that I had, 50% I just took it and brought it. 50% half of it and I put it down for the Prophet sallallahu the charity. Then he says, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu came. And he came with how much? Everything. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu came and he put down everything he had. So then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, what have you left for your family? He said, I've left for them Allah and his messenger. The complete trust and dependence in Allah. The scholars, they say, that, that's an example from Abu Bakr As-Siddiq عنه, due to this level of trust and dependence in Allah and the situation that it was. But normally speaking, then a person, he should give the amount that he's able to give but at the same time, still be able to have enough to look after his family and the other rights that are upon him. That's what you should normally do. Give as much as you're able and still have what you need to be able to fulfill your duties of looking after your wife, your children, etc. But this is an example of how the companions they were in their charity and in giving. Um, After that then, that's one of the characteristics that Allah mentions, that they give this money, they spend in the path of Allah, in this charity. And that's why even in the hadith it mentions that when a person dies, انقطع عمله إلا من ثلاث When a person dies, all of his actions are cut off, they're finished, apart from three things. One of them is علم ينتفع Knowledge that he leaves behind and other people benefit from it. One of them is ولد صالح A person leaves behind righteous children, a righteous son who makes dua for his parents after they die. So they benefit from the dua that the person, their children are making for them, asking Allah to forgive them, etc. One of them is Sadaqatin Jariyah, a person does some ongoing charity. He builds a masjid for example and dies, even after his death the Muslims are going to benefit from the masjid. So that person will continue to get the reward for that. So this is something mentioned for the characteristics of the believers that they spend in the path of Allah in that way. The fourth characteristic that Allah mentioned, the fourth characteristic that is mentioned here, and those who believe in that which was revealed to you, and that which was revealed before you. This is regarding those people who believed in the Prophet from the people of the book. The people of the book, the Jews and the Christians, then they used to believe in their previous books, the Torah and the Injil, what's now known as the Old Testament and the New Testament. But when the Quran, it came, and the revelation, it came, and they left that religion of the Torah and the Injil because it had been distorted, and they came to Islam, then that was a virtue for those people. It was a virtue for those individuals who left their religion of Christianity or Judaism, and they came to Al-Islam, so Allah mentions here, those who believe in that which is revealed to you, and they believe in that which was revealed prior to you, i.e. the Torah and the Injil. Um, So those people, it's as if they have two rewards. They have the reward of being upon their original religion when it was revealed, the Torah and the Injil, which was the speech of Allah originally, and then afterwards it became distorted. It was the speech of Allah, but it became distorted. But then afterwards they came to Islam, And they had Iman in that, so they are rewarded for that also. So this is what is mentioned. And on top of that, we can also say that we as Muslims believe in the previous books as a part of our Iman too. One of the six pillars of Iman is the belief in the books. And that includes the Quran, of course. But prior to that, the Injil, what's known as the Bible, the uh, New Testament, the Torah, the Old Testament, the Zabur, what was given to Dawood a.s., All of these other books and scriptures we believe in them Some scholars even say every single prophet had a book But we don't know the names of them all So all of those scriptures and books and prior Previous uh, revelations that came Then we accept them all and we believe in them all And then it says وَبِالْآخِرَةِهُمْ يُوقِنُونَ And those believers they have absolute certainty In the hereafter They have absolute certainty in the hereafter And that is what we mentioned already Uh, which is included in the belief in the unseen. So these are some of the descriptions Allah mentions about those people who are upon piety. And this is what we mean by taking knowledge from the Qur'an and understanding it and practicing it. There's some characteristics now that Allah has mentioned the believers are upon. That's what you need to be upon. Upon establishing the prayer, upon believing in the unseen with certainty, upon giving in charity. All of these types of affairs that are mentioned. So that is something that is required. Then Allah mentioned the reward for those people. The believers who have these characteristics, Allah mentions their reward. Ulaika ala min Rabbihim. Those people are upon guidance from Allah. The ones who fulfill these types of characteristics. They are upon guidance from Allah. Meaning Allah makes their affairs easy for them on this earth. Allah makes the affairs easy for them on this earth. Makes their matters easy for them. And makes it easy for them to be able to practice the straight path in the religion. People find it hard; they find it hard to get rid of the whispers of the shaitan. But a person who makes himself serious and learns and practices these things, then Allah makes it easier for him to carry on practicing that religion and praying and being upon righteousness. That's why Allah says, "Ulaika ala Rabbihim." Those people are upon guidance from their Lord. Wa ulaika humul and those are the people who are successful. They are the people who are successful, i.e. by entering paradise. These people upon these characteristics, they are the ones who get the success. They are the ones who earn that uh, victory of being rewarded with paradise in the hereafter. Guidance in this world, paradise in the hereafter. For those individuals who believe inwardly and outwardly, They believe in all of the unseen affairs. They believe in the religion as a whole. They believe in all of these things and they practice and they implement and they learn and they memorize. Then those and individuals Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions are upon guidance in this world. Allah makes it easy for them to carry on practicing and be upon righteousness and piety. And in the hereafter, they'll be rewarded with paradise. They are the characteristics of the believers. That's where we'll conclude today. And next week, inshaAllah, we'll continue and mention... The second part of this lecture, which is the second category of people who disbelieved inwardly and outwardly. And what's their reward? What's Allah mentioned about those people? And then on top of that, those people who inwardly disbelieved, outwardly they pretended to believe. What does Allah say about those types of people? The hypocrites. That inshallah will finish off next week. At the same time, approximately quarter past seven inshallah, inshallah. So, we'll conclude there for now.